American mythology, violence, revolutions, superheroes, science fiction. It's time for a strength check. What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak, and this is another episode of Strength Check. This week, we're going to continue talking about something that came up in our last episode, and in a couple of previous episodes, I think, about why people find themselves in situations that they do. And so, I want to talk about this because I'm prepping a class for the fall. Even though the semester hasn't ended yet, I'm already thinking about the fall because I've got a lot of work on my plate, and I want to get a jump on this. So, in the fall, I'm teaching a class about true crime, and I'm teaching a class about revolutions. And the revolutions class is really a class about social change because there have been revolutions that have been successful, plenty of revolutions that haven't been successful, civil wars, riots that were maybe a spark of something bigger that just never caught on. And I think there's a lot there that I want to talk about. And of course, plenty of people smarter than me have covered all of this in in much better ways than a podcast in the past. But like I said, I think that one of the possibilities of this show is just using it as a way for me to think out loud and for anybody listening to kind of maybe get a little insight into how class prep kind of works, right? Because I think a lot of it for me, at least, is just asking myself questions and then trying to reason through the answers, you know? So anyway, last time I mentioned, I think, Talleyrand and Pancho Villa from the French and Mexican revolutions, respectively. And both of their stories are really incredible. Like one of my goals for the summer is to try to learn more about Talleyrand specifically because the whole thing with him is just amazing, right? That he he survived six different governments and served in six different governments throughout the French Revolution, that he he betrayed Napoleon. Like that's incredible that that he did that. And Pancho Villa, that Pancho Villa went from being just a run of the mill bandit in Mexico to almost becoming president. He was so close. He sat on the throne. And he just couldn't quite keep up with the times. And so a question that I've been struggling with, like I said, is how do people find themselves in these situations? And I don't think that it's destiny. And I don't think that it's fate. I don't believe in destiny. So I'm not going to use that as an explanation. And really, I think that's kind of a cop-out, right? That's just part of some plan, um, I don't think that's true. I think that the idea of destiny really makes the world really depressing. So it's not that. I don't think it's that. So if not that, then why? Like, why these guys and why these people? And so it's especially interesting to me because looking at revolutions and all of, all of the information that I've gotten or much of the information I've gotten comes from Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast, which if you haven't listened to this, uh, when you're done with strength check and i would also say like just stop now and go check out revolutions because mike duncan is a genius i wish i could be mike duncan when i grow up if i ever grow up uh it's wonderful it's incredible work so as i've been listening to that that show and kind of doing some supplemental work on my own to get ready for this class it seems time and again 
that the story of every major world revolution is that people are pushed to the very brink. People take so much crap and they take it and they take it and they take it. And then finally, for whatever reason, it's just the right point in time or the conditions are right that almost like trying to predict a wildfire or a hurricane that suddenly everything just falls to pieces and some new type of order tries to rise up. So, you know, think about it with the American Revolution, right? The American Revolution has has been really, like, there's a, a huge mythology around this. And we like to think about the American Revolution in terms of everybody was on board, right? In the United States, it's typically taught as one day, George Washington woke up and called up his boy, Thomas Jefferson, and was like, what's up, Tom? I got this idea. It's called democracy. Let's try it out. Like, oh, yeah, let's do this, right? And so... All of a sudden, everybody in the colonies was like, oh, yeah, democracy, let's do this, yeah. And then we won, and it was over, and then all of a sudden, democracy was here. Like, what's up, everybody? We got democracy. How are we doing? But in reality, like, we know that a lot of people weren't on board with the revolution. We know that a lot of people left the colonies um, because they viewed the revolution as this massive betrayal, either ideologically or of their their personal interests. They they did not want anything to do with this. And we know that a lot of people who stayed wanted nothing to do with it either. Like, these people were crazy. The people that we deify now and that we, we treat as if they were demigods or they are demigods were hilariously... Uh, I don't even know the word. Like, there was, there was no chance that they would ever pull this off up until the very end. Like, this was insanity to a lot of people living in the United States or what became the United States. And after it was over, then it was just like, okay, well, like, life goes on, right? We we did this thing and, like, okay, but I still have to do everything in the morning. I still have to go to work tomorrow, you know? And so when you look at that and then you look at revolutions that came subsequent to that, the French Revolution especially, like, people are willing to put up with so much suffering in, in life without fighting back that... You know, sometimes it's a wonder that there aren't more revolutions, right? But when you think about it in terms of how much patience people have to just endure life, then it kind of makes sense that there aren't more. And the other thing with it, too, is that we see, like, this massive change in government, a massive attempted change in social social structure, but that old power just kind of creeps back in, and a much more conservative outcome is almost always the case, it seems. So anyway, what does this have to do with superheroes? Like, you don't want to hear me drone on about political philosophy. That's that's not what this show is about. Um, what does this have to do with superheroes? So I have been thinking about a lot of stuff. And, like, I'm really interested in this idea of modern American mythology. Because we don't sit around and tell stories and tell our kids stories about, you know, Robin Hood or the Odyssey or, or Shakespeare or, or whatever old mythologies there were like i'm sure there are tons of stories that have died off because that oral history just doesn't exist or isn't being you know as widely utilized as maybe people want it to be or whatever but you know what we do have is we do have uncle ben dying time and again and we do have thomas and martha wayne dying again and again and we do have krypton exploding again and again and so these superhero stories have really become like modern American mythology. 
And it's interesting to me because these characters have existed, some of them have existed for so long that we can see how their meaning changes from one generation to the next and how different social and cultural circumstances might change how characters like Batman and Superman and Iron Man might be viewed by the public. And so for a while I used to think that, you know, the characters don't have any meaning anymore because it is just this popcorn, this stupid popcorn movie, right? That there's no meaning to anything that has existed in the MCU and that if you really wanted to find value in superhero characters, you had to read about them when they're on when they're fighting Hitler, <laughs> right? Um, and then, you know, as I've watched some of the more recent Marvel stuff, you know, and with Endgame coming out very soon, I think I've changed my mind about that. I think that there actually is a lot of meaning and a lot of value that can be derived from, from these films today and from these stories today. And so part of it, I think, is the representation thing, right? That somebody like me... I have spent my entire life with heroes who looked like me. I have never had to worry about any kind of representation. Maybe I'm not always the kind of guy who looks like the hero, right? Maybe a lot of Disney shows might cast somebody who looks like me, big doofy looking guy, as the brainless henchman. But besides that, it's a minor quibble, right? Plenty of white guys out there saving the world. But with Captain Marvel making a billion dollars and Black Panther really getting robbed of the best picture and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse winning best animated picture, right? I think the representation part of it is like we're getting to experience a a new generation of myth-making, right? And that's really cool. The other thing that I think is going on is that (laughs) life today isn't exactly the most cheerful experience, Right? Lots of people are struggling. Most people are struggling. Lots of people are suffering. Maybe most of us are suffering in some different ways. I know that I am. And so as we go into Endgame and we think about, well, what's going to happen? And objectively, we know it's a movie, right? We know that somehow, some way, all 75 people who are the star of Avengers Endgame got together made the movie, nobody actually died, people are going to come back, we already we know that Tom Holland made it through, and there's another Spider-Man movie coming out, so it's cool, right? We know everything's okay. We hope, we tell ourselves everything's okay. And so, in spite of that, and all of the isolation and alienation and suffering and confusion and, and fear that exists in the world, climate change is terrifying, war is terrifying, we're going to go into this movie, and it's not like we're going to be cheering for Thanos, right? I mean, there will be some people who are, like, professional devil's advocates, right? Who are going to want to go online and be like, what if Thanos was right? Like, why you got to advocate for the devil, man? What's up with that? What's up with you? You're trying to do that, you know? So besides that few, that people who are, like, the professional contrarian set online, who are extremely online most people are going to cheer, right? We know that most of our people are going to make it through that okay. We know Tom Holland's making it through it okay, at least. And I'm pretty sure that Captain Marvel and Black Panther are going to are going to be okay. But we might lose one or two people, but we're still going to come out of it, like, cheering and happy and not like, you know what, actually, Thanos was right. Like, let's destroy half of the world, half of the, 
the galaxy because everything sucks. And so that's relevant because it's it's completely ideology of Thomas Malthus, right? Like Malthus was obsessed with the end of the world for real. Malthus did or encouraged people to do all kinds of studies and experiments where you took a finite space, a limited amount of physical space, and packed as much life into it as possible. Fish, insects, whatever. And my understanding is that when you do that, everything just completely goes to hell. (laughs) And so Malthus viewed the world, he viewed the Earth as this limited physical space with a population that was increasing incredibly fast, outpacing our ability to cultivate the world around us and make use of the natural resources that we have available to us. And Malthus thought that the world was going to end because of this. So Malthus and Thanos are like boys, right? You can view Thanos as somebody who has become so deranged, maybe, so desperate, so broken by the circumstances of life and the world that he sees no choice but to make this desperate move. And there are lots of people like that today who would snap if they could, who have snapped already. And like I said, we're not going to go into that cheering for Thanos to win and squash the Avengers. We're cheering for the Avengers to come back and save the day because in spite of all of our differences and in spite of our fears and our alienation and isolation and all of that stuff that we have working against us, we still want life to go on. We still think that we can find a way out of this. We still have faith if not in ourselves, then that somebody is going to step up, that somebody somewhere is going to intervene, that just like in real life, when the there's a metaphor here somewhere, when the, when the chips are down, is that a thing? I don't know. When it's time to put up or shut up, that somebody always puts up. When life became so untenable for people in the American colonies, somebody stepped up. When life became so untenable for people in Mexico, somebody stepped up. In France, in Russia, in China, in Cuba, in Haiti, in all the countries around the world that have experienced a massive revolution in the last 200 years or 300 years or more, somebody stepped up. And so I think that we are maybe at a point where we know that the real-life Avengers aren't going to show up, that superpowers don't exist, but we know that somebody might step up and... While it is a a billion dollar or a trillion dollar three hour long popcorn superhero movie that a lot of people are going to watch out of hand, complain if their favorite hero doesn't get enough screen time, their guy doesn't come back to life or whatever, people who are extremely online. The message of it is like, hopefully somebody's going to step up. At least that's what I take from it as I try to be the eternal optimist. I don't know. The other thing that I want to talk about this week is, you know, so last time I said we're going to think about what the direction of the show is going to be, and I think we're going to do a little bit of a split um, coming up. So I'm working on a book on the history of crime in the 20th century, starting in January of 1900, moving all the way to December of 1999. I want to cover the entire century. I want to cover the trials that were the most captivating, that got the most public attention. I want to cover the cases that actually may have had massive ramifications that people haven't really thought about. 
I want to cover prohibition. I want to cover civil rights. I want to cover the assassinations of Presidents McKinley and Kennedy, the attempted assassination of President Reagan. We need to talk about the rise of school shootings. We need to talk about organized crime. There's all kinds of amazing stories that happened in the 20th century that I want to cover. And so thinking about this show as what do we do moving forward? Nobody wants to listen to just me ramble week in and week out. Maybe this show becomes a forum for like author notes, not like an audiobook, but maybe 15 or 20 minutes a week. That's just like, hey, here's this thing that I'm working on. So we're going to try that out. Give this show some direction. Talk about the stories that I'm covering, the cases, the history that I'm finding, why it was important then, maybe why it's important now. You know, part of this project is to think about, could all the stuff that happened in the 20th century happen today, April 5th or April 6th, 2019? Could the Kennedy assassination have played out the same way or the McKinley assassination? Probably not, right? Conditions today are very different from what they were when both of those men were assassinated. So things like that. And I've done a little bit of that on the show already, right? When we talked about Martin Bergen and when we talked about the the murder of Stanford White by Harry Thaw and everything with Evelyn Nesbitt. So I think those conversations are really interesting. I think those conversations provide us an opportunity to think about like how things have changed and why they've changed and what that change means and maybe give us an idea of how things might change in the in the immediate future. So there's that possibility. Um, and to that end, um, I want to think about President McKinley because I've been reading about him now and he's not a president that is ever really taught about in school, you know? I mean, maybe he was covered in some American history classes I took in high school and college, but honestly, reading about him now may as well have been the first time I learned anything about him. And as it turns out, McKinley is one of the most important presidents who ever lived. He had the most, like, I don't think anything today in 2019 would be the way that it was if not for McKinley. And there's an argument here that, you know, McKinley may have just been going with the flow of things. And that if not McKinley, whoever was president in 1896 and in 1900 would have done similar stuff to what he did just in a different style. Maybe the timing would have been different. And maybe things in the country at that time were so tense and almost toxic that whoever was president may have been assassinated. Maybe it wasn't anything to do with McKinley. Maybe he was just there. Maybe he was just (laughs) the man for his time and place. I don't know. But we think about America today as an empire, right? The United States of America is an empire. And it has been an empire for some time. And we are an empire because of the decisions made by William McKinley. McKinley caved big time to American industry and American business and their desire to become or to make the United States a global commercial empire. And so you become a global commercial empire by loosening or creating new trade deals and opening up foreign markets. Everything in our lives now that's mass-produced is because of McKinley basically giving the go-ahead for this to happen. The fact that we have so much territory outside of the continental 48 states is really McKinley. It's all McKinley. So there's a question then, right, that I hadn't thought about before. As we sit here in the longest 
military conflict, the longest war in American history, would we be in Iraq and Afghanistan if McKinley hadn't done McKinley stuff? So we're going to go into that more next week. I don't have the time this week to, to give you the full appropriate introduction to the presidency of William McKinley and the assassination of William McKinley, and especially not to the really wild stories of the anarchist movement in the United States back in the late 19th century and the early 20th century. And because this is the direction that this show is going to be taking for the foreseeable future, we're going to be spending a lot of time with anarchy in the United States. It was a thing. It was a major thing. And we don't really think about it that much anymore. When I mentioned that we might split the show, I'm referring to some of the big news that I was alluding to on the Red Hot Twitter machine. So yesterday we had a Play for Progress meeting. For those of you who are new to the show, Play for Progress is what I hope will become a nonprofit organization that I'm a part of, where we will be using Dungeons and Dragons and other sorts of narrative storytelling to help young people who are dealing with trauma. And we want to use the game to help them rebuild trust, to build capital, to improve their self-efficacy, help out with self-esteem, and any sort of lingering mental health problems they might be going through. We view it as something that can help young people who have been bullied in school, young people who are on probation, adults who are on probation, servicemen and women coming back from combat. We think there are a lot of vulnerable populations out there that this could help, and at least in our area, anyway. And so we're moving ahead with that. And this September, we'll be starting in our first school, um, and I'm very excited about that. So most of the people who have volunteered for this have been um, students of mine, uh, students that go to the university that I work at. And one of the things that I've been really concerned about is how do we keep up momentum once they break? You know, next week, we're going to MipaCon. We'll probably have a podcast episode from MipaCon. And then after that... It's Easter, and then they're basically done, and then they go their separate ways, and we don't see them again until August. And so I've got that few-month span there, three months, almost four months of not really much student interaction. And so how do we keep this momentum going? And so in talking to the volunteers, the student volunteers yesterday, we decided that we are going to do an actual play show. They wanted to do a Twitch stream right out of the jump, but we're going to ease into this. So we have access to the university's radio studio. We're going to take over the studio, hopefully, for a couple of days, and just play D&D and record ourselves playing D&D. And if we can turn this into a, a solid 10 or 15 episodes, limited release run, special strength check exclusive, we'll be happy with that. And the idea is going to be to use the game or to model what we're going to use the game for with ourselves. So we want to make this about mental health. Right? We want to make this about overcoming all of the ways that people are alienated. And so over the next few weeks, maybe a month or so, we're going to put together our cast. We're going to determine which of our volunteers are going to be able to take time out of their very busy lives to do this with us. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that the cast is very inclusive and diverse. 
so we have a diversity of voices on the show and put it out for you hopefully over the summer and if it works then this will become a recurring thing very very excited about this so that's it for this week thanks for listening you can follow the show on twitter at strength check you can follow me on twitter at hey dr will that's h-e-y-d-r-w-i-l you can email the show at strengthcheckpodcast at gmail.com please reach out if you have any comments about anything we've talked about on this or any past episodes i'm more than happy to engage any questions or comments on next week's show which will be coming to you live from well not live live in past time is wibbly wobbly coming to you from MipaCon in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So if you're hearing this and you can make the con, come by. We'll have a table, say hi, play some D&D with us. It'll be a good time. Monday night, this coming Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific, I will be on another episode of Mages and Mentors, a new D&D Twitch show that some friends of mine are putting together. So come check that out. I'll tweet out the link um, at both accounts. Fight forever. See you next time. Bye. Bye.